0: Welcome to Pushing the Limits with your host, Lisa Tarmaty, where it's all about health optimization, anti-ageing, longevity and being the very best you can be. Brought to you by lisatarmaty.com Hi everyone,
1: Lisa here at Pushing the Limits today. I have a fabulous guest for you. I have my friend Craig Anthony Harper. Uh, legend in the fitness industry in Australia, broadcaster, podcaster, author, PhD candidate, uh, very interesting human being and today we are riffing on everything around metacognition, philosophy, we talk about how to get people to do behavioral change, how to understand your own brain and why it sometimes sabotages you (laughs) in your mission to do things in life why you can't always control the way you you, you act, even though you know better. Um, so lots of um, great insights with my friend, Craig. He's uh, really awesome. And I'd encourage you to go and check out his podcast too, The You Project. Uh, he's really, really funny he does swear a lot. So if you are offended by swearing, I apologize up front, but he is really worth listening to. He's really funny and um, a very, very intelligent person who's um, got a lot of insights to share. So I hope you enjoy the episode with Craig. Uh, before we head over to the show, head over to com. Make sure that you uh, check out what we do in the shop. We've got all a uh, uh, anti-aging and uh, longevity supplement range and we also have health consulting epigenetic testing dna testing uh, functional medicine testing hyperbaric oxygen therapy clinic i've got my books of course um, speaking if you need me to speak at uh, one of your corporate events or uh, meetings or anything like that please reach out to me support at lisatamity.com is where you can find me and my team right now over to the show with a lovely craig harper well, hi hey everybody, and welcome into pushing the limits for another fantastic episode today. I've got my friend, nutcase, Craig Anthony Harper. Welcome to the show, mate.
0: Well, that's pretty hurtful, but somewhat accurate. <laughs> in the most so loving way. It. In the
1: most How loving way. How are you?
0: <laughs> I'm yeah. a
1: nutcase too.
0: Well, I think. Uh, well, I think nutcase is hanging out with nutcase. I don't know if we're oh, allowed to say not that not in two thousand and twenty three, <laughs> but if we're calling if we're calling each other that, I think it's okay. No, you're
1: absolutely a legend you know? and i loved uh you know having you on previously and I was on your show last week and uh we just love sharing great mm. uh insights with people and what you're up to. So um Craig, give us a bit of background for those who don't know you. I don't know who that wouldn't know you, but maybe there's some people in New Zealand who don't know you.
0: Yeah. A lot of people don't know me, but um, yeah. So my background is in originally uh, work background anyway in kind of sports science, fitness, health, wellness. Um, working with teams as conditioning and strength coach. I set up the first personal training centres in Australia. I wrote the first course with my friend Tara. Um, I I had PT centres for when no one had them and no one knew what they were and. I employed 500 trainers over about 25 years. I had four centers. Um, I've always been really fascinated with human behavior and human thinking and psychology and physiology and performance. And it started with bodies. And then I realized that working with bodies was good, but understanding the people inside the body was more important. So i you know which kind of eventually led me to doing lots of research in that area and I'm stumbling towards the finish line of my phd at the moment in neuropsychology and yeah just lots of corporate speaking and working with teams and athletes over the years and blokes in prison and working with addicts and alcoholics um or people with addiction issues i think we more politically correctly put it these days um yeah <clears throat> and just yeah just like helping people to help themselves like i'm really i'm super fascinated Mm -hmm. lisa with potential and i i was not one of those people that was born with amazing genetics like you which is very fucking annoying (laughs) come on (laughs) you know and and i wasn't a star student (laughs) and i couldn't sing and i couldn't dance and like like my platform was mediocrity (laughs) shut up shut up but it no, just because yeah. I wasn't great at anything, it made me really motivated. So I, I always say to people, mediocrity was my gift, because I think if I was super talented, yeah. 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 I wouldn't and, have been And actually, driven. I
1: can totally relate to that, because contrary to what you just said, I'm just so below average. And I've got the, the data to say that. And, and as far as ultramarathoning went, <laughs> the scientists, the guys like you that did the yeah. VO2 mix and all of that just went, yeah, no. Nah. <laughs> you're a complete disaster
0: you're not suited for this <laughs>
1: don't give up your day job they well, told that's me that's funny did you do yeah, did you ever get yeah. your lactate threshold done i can't remember but it was not good and? it was not good nothing was good
0: wow you know there was a very famous uh i know we're just rambling today but that's okay there was a very famous australian marathoner I think his name was Derek Miller and he actually held the world record for a minute I believe which was something like 2 mm-hmm. hours 12 or something back in the day um and he did Why not did have not? a very good VO2 max which is ridiculous right but what he had was an incredibly oh, high yeah, lactate threshold <laughs> and what that meant what that meant was he could almost run at his maximum without accumulating. How does that work? I've got acid. a friend Dean
1: Kinesis like Would that as well. Like he, he it,
0: it, It's just uh, I mean, that's just luck. Yeah, no, I mean that's just him genetic him. luck. You know, there's a few things that you can do to buffer lactic acid. I you know, like but we won't talk about that. But I I it's yeah, like some people just are born with physiology that actually, as we all know, predisposes them to be better than way better than average at certain things. You know, it's like yeah, I you know, I was never going to be a bloody dancer or something, but if I've naturally really mm-hmm. strong hips and legs and if I ever ever had decided to be a cyclist, yep. Yep. I might have been okay at it, you know. Um but if I had wanted to be a distance runner not, yeah. you know. So and and I guess that's just part of like when we talk about human optimization in general, which is what you you're about and I'm about and it's getting the most mm-hmm. out of what we have to work with whether that's you know genetics or IQ or potential or talent or resources or you know nutrition or is it's like just how do I what do I have to work with what do I want to do be create and and how how am I going to move from where I am to where I want to be and for me that's hot. we were talking briefly before we went live about high performance And, and that's, when I talk about high performers, I'm just Mm. talking about people Mm. who can get the most out of themselves, you know, and you're that, you know, and as you said, you don't have brilliant genetics, but you've done some pretty amazing stuff. That's high performance. My mum has had cancer three times. She's 84. She's soldiering on. She's a weapon. She's a high performer for what she's got to work with your mum too. You know, it's like, we're not talking about winning a Nobel peace prize or an Olympic gold medal or curing cancer. We're talking about you, the listener, what do you have to work with and and what can you do with what you've yes, got? Because that's that. really and the best yeah, question. It's
1: about being the best, and that's part of my tagline, being the best that you can be. And and bringing out the most in, in people that yes. you're working with and yourself, hopefully, and and living life to the to the absolute full. And I think, you know, like what I love about you is that your ongoing curiosity. Has now led you in different paths from where you started from, and you know physiology and sports and all of that sort of mm. stuff and performance to now doing a PhD. At how old are you? Like I don't know, twenty-seven. I just turned sixty. And you're yeah, doing a PhD—that's just epic. I know I did. Um, and that just shows you know, like you're not like going, "Oh, I'm sixty. I'm buggered. I'm old. I'm 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 I've done my bit for the world. I'm I'm um you know." You're just going harder. <laughs>
0: <laughs> that that could be the title of your show today. I'm 60. I'm buggered. I'm and you're
1: old. You're not like this is the thing. That's a role model for me. You're only a couple of years ahead of me, um, and it is like when you think about 60 year olds. When we were kids, the people that were you know like my grandparents and things at that age were old, and now we're really like they say the 60s, yeah. the
0: new 40 type of thing. Um, well, I I think you know. And I'm not saying this because I'm 60, but I have all, you know, from when I was 20, I was fascinated with how people age in the way that we think about age. And of course, we can't alter our chronological age, of course. So I can't wake up tomorrow and be 30 or 40 or 50. But, you know, so there's the inevitability of chronological aging, but there's the variability of biological aging, how we age, how my body ages and how my body works at whatever chronological age I am. And we all know, we all know, fifty-year-olds who are young mm. and forty-year-olds who are old. But we know, you know, like my mum, who's been through a bunch. She's eighty-four, and my dad's eighty-four, and for their age, they are way better than the tip, the average person. No disrespect that age. And so it's like we can't, we can't uh, manipulate the cr- chronology. But what we can do is go well. How can I age well? How can I be atypical? And not from an ego or vanity point of view, but from a function point of view. And I know that, like it, me doing a PhD, I started when I was 56, right? And I'll hopefully finish in about 12 months. So when I get my mm-hmm. doctorate, I'll be 61, right? And that's not that's not good or bad, but it's what's interesting is that that really is a surprise to people um, and i get that and i but i wish it wasn't a surprise like i wish i wish more 50 60 and 70 year olds were saying what can i learn what can i get better at how can i improve and not from a point of view of insecurity or uh, i don't know some kind of need to impress but rather we have the capacity to keep learning to keep evolving to keep adapting in a way which is not typical so that a 70-year-old doesn't need to walk around in, inverted commas, a typical 70-year-old body with 70-year-old mm. function. And, and the truth is that a very, very small percentage of the population, in my mm. opinion, asterisk, um, optimise what they have to work with. And so there's a level of degeneration and deterioration that happens Absolutely. that is unnecessary. And the reason that people deteriorate and degenerate, many of them at the rate that they do, is not because it's genetically um, predetermined, but because they eat shit. They don't move. Mm -hmm. They make bad choices. they They don't use what they've got to work with. And the reason that, you know, like I'm in touch wood, not bad shape and all of those things is... I just do the things that produce that outcome. I'm not special. I'm not gifted. I as I said before, I don't have great genetics, but it's like I've never had alcohol in my life. I'm not suggesting anyone else does that. I've never been high. I've never had yeah. I've never smoked. I've never used recreational drugs. I train every day of my life. I eat two meals a day. I understand how my body works. And so what's not possible? is for me to be 30 years old. But what is possible for me is to figure out at my age, with my genetics, with my resources, with my goals, which is to live well and long, what's the best protocol for me? And my body will tell me and my body has told me. You've
1: optimized,
0: yep. You know, and we can all... We can all do that. We can all pay attention. You know, your body is wisdom. Your body is intelligence. Yep. It is always just got to be talking able to,
1: to you. To, to listen, to understand. And this is where the education piece is, comes in, and also listening to your body and not just um, social, because we're socially conditioned to do certain things and to eat certain ways and to, you know, and then not- start to question those things. Start to question, you know, do I need this breakfast or do I need this dinner or do I need, uh eight ounces of water a day or do you know like where did all these things that we've been told come from and go and look is it actually relevant and you know on the aging front because i'm at the forefront of study on in in the longevity space well we can actually reverse aging now and Mm -hmm. we can very definitely we slow it now and uh some of the interventions that are around now not i'm not talking about the crazy stuff that's in the pipeline that's coming but this is what makes me excited is that if we can hold our stuff together for another few years, then we're going to have access to stuff to really slow it down. I've been interviewing um, the CEO of um, True Diagnostic a couple of times in the last few weeks, and, and they're a company that looks at yeah. biological aging right, versus chronological aging. They use all sorts of different clocks. They've just brought out a new one, which is to do with fit age. Now, I think the, the science still has a way to go. But we're sort of at the iPhone one stage, you know. We're going to be heading to the iPhone fifteen stage, and there's yeah. bugs and the and the in the reports and there's problems. I mean, I got my um, Fit Age report back, expecting to see it pretty much off the scales, and some of the things that they can tell that like they can tell you based on algorithms. So based on um, hundreds of thousands of other people's data. Then they extrapolate that according to what you're yeah. looking at, and they can work out things like your gait speed, your grip strength from a blood draw, not from yeah, and yeah, yeah and but yeah, wow. You know, I just given them some feedback. Like they came back that my grip strength, well, I was in the lowest twenty five percent of the population. Now I know I'm in the top one percent. I know from actually doing grip strength tests on yeah. the top 1% of women of my age, like I'm off yeah. the scales, right? So there's something, you know, not quite yeah. Yeah. Mat- matting up there. And there's a few other things. and they, But they they are approximating, there's lots of other ones. There's one called the Dunedin Pace Study. This one is the most accurate that we have currently. And that is looking at the rate of aging. So for every chronological year that you live, how how much are you aging? Mine came back yeah. at the last so test I was 0. 0.69 for every year that I live. That's off the scales, good. All right. That's one of the slowest that they've ever seen.
0: That's amazing. And- so even though you're, you're, literally chronologically a year older. your body is only aging like 0.69 of a year. Yeah, and I've got to maintain that,
1: right? Because if I had a a stressor in the last few weeks or whatever, then that can change. But that rate of aging, if you can keep it below one, then you are Mm. um, massively lowering your risk of disease because the biggest risk factor for dying is age. Now, that might sound more obviously... Yeah. No, age is a disease. We're trying to get that, the 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 you know, the people in the space are trying to get that recognized as a disease that we can cure. Because if aging is a disease, then we are able to go after it with targets, with drugs, with supplements, with things we can, because it's a thing, right? Yeah. When aging is just, well, that's just an yeah. inevitable part of thing. Of 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 living, then it's not considered a disease. So there's big debates about is it a disease or is it not a disease. And when it is is classed Mm. classed as a disease, then we can go after it much more clearly with our research, right? Because then we can we can have measurements. Are we slowing Mm. aging? And this is why this science is really really important. Even though there are still bugs in the system at this point. And there's different clocks and there's different, they have mm. immune clocks, they have fit age clocks, they have extrinsic and intrinsic, and they can look at your blood markers and they can do all this crazy stuff. But what what's going to come out of it is pretty soon, we're going to know the age of your heart, what the age of your lung is. Because if we know the the specific age of all the organs, then you know all it takes is one organ mm. to let go and you let go, right? um so uh, you might be Mm -hmm. aging quite well most of you but your heart isn't for some particular reason if we can pick that up then we can target interventions on the heart and with some of the testing they can already Mm. tell that there's something going on with this person like when we do the immune age testing we can go oh there's something going on with this person and send them off for further testing and then they have been able to pick up people with cancer or whatever because they've being able to get early stage information and this is really i'm excited for how this is going to develop in the next couple of years i'm offering the testing now in my company and what i do and it we're just learning how to interpret mm. the reports and it's very it's, a, it's an exciting evolving space but the most important one at the moment i think with two the immune age and the rate of aging if you can get those in a, in a good place then you're really going to do well if in it like if we can reverse the age of the population of the world by just seven years, so you as a 60-year-old, uh, uh, mm. if I, if you actually came back at a chronological age of 53, we would drop your risk of all diseases, of all mortality by 50%. And seven years is not mm. impossible. That's actually quite doable. Mm. Yeah, I'm, mm. I might have got stats wrong, Amazing. but it's like two yeah. years um is going to have a massive impact if we can just reverse your aging by two years and we can do that you know like you can do that with interventions so this yeah. is where um we 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 optim like you and I are optimizing our lifestyle you know probably well for me it's stress it's the one thing that I haven't got under control um yeah. you know the diet the lifestyle the exercise all of that sort of stuff the sleep optimizing yeah. all of that um but then we're still aging right but when we can start to add in a few of these other interventions, you know, um, that uh, have to be personalized to you, but my, and my, my regime is pretty extensive, for example, you know, like I'm on things like rapamycin, mm-hmm. and um, I was just swapped metformin mm-hmm. for berberine, because I think that's actually a better option. And mm-hmm. you'd think, why the hell would you be doing that is because I know the data around blood sugar regulation. You know, I know I need to be on top of my blood sugar regulation. Mm. I know that I need to get rid of senescent cells. Mm. So I've done my research and I do things for me um, in conjunction with doctors, by the way, um, some of those things. And then other interventions, which are um, not medical interventions, but that I can just do as Joe Citizen, um, you know, that we can all put into our mix, like you know? Yeah. Just interrupting the show to let you know about my longevity and anti-aging supplement range. I'd love you to go and check it out. Go to my website, lisatarmity.com and hit the shop button and you'll see a curated range of supplements, the latest in anti-aging, longevity, health optimization, performance optimization. I've gone out into the world, interviewed the most amazing doctors and scientists, as you'll know if you follow the show, and gone and got some of the best products that are out there. Stuff that I give to my family, that what's in my range so go and check it out at lisatarmity.com
0: it's i mean yeah this is the thing is that there's so much that we know Mm. there's so much that we don't know and and you know it's like you you are very much n equals one you are the you are the the researcher and you are the participant in your own study and we can all do that to an extent um and it's that the The stress and anxiety one is really interesting because that brings the psychology Hmm. into the realm of the physiology, you know, because thoughts have thoughts, uh, which are non-physical things, have physical consequences, you know, so, you know, uh, thinking affects emotion, emotion affects physiology and, and this whole idea of, I talk to people about this a lot, Lisa, the way that we create our own experiences, you know, and on a physical level. That's like if I, for example, right now, and I'm home alone, but if I think that I hear someone outside the door that's behind me and I have this Mm -hmm. thought, oh, I'm in danger now, there is a threat, you know, But and by the way, there's nobody there, but I think there is and I believe there is. Now, that's just a construct. That's a Mm -hmm. thought, an idea, a story. It's not real though, but if I believe it's real, then within a short period of time, now I'm in a state of a physiological state of stress or distress. So elevated blood pressure, heart rate, adrenaline, cortisol, all of these things and my body and I, (laughs) all of us, we are now in a stress state. That I created with a thought, despite the fact that the situation I'm in doesn't require me to be elevated or stressed or hypervigilant or my sympathetic nervous system to be activated. All of that's happening and all of that happened unnecessarily. And it happened because of me. And so trying to understand the relationship between my Mm -hmm. mind and my body for good and bad. You know, there's an area of research called psychoneuroimmunology, which talks about what's happening in your mind and your immune system. And we know if we break it down in simple terms, like if you love your dog and you lie on the floor with your dog and you're cuddling your dog and there's a whole lot of licking and hugging and love. And now you're changing the biochemistry of your brain and that's influencing the rest of your body. And now you're calming the farm and your parasympathetic nervous system is switched in sympathetic nervous system. switched, And right. And that's just from fucking lying on the floor with your dog. But conversely, if you're scared of dogs and a dog comes up to you, the opposite's going to happen. Now, all of these are individual responses to a particular stimulus. You know, I wrote an uh, I wrote an article yes or a post yesterday about, and this is just a funny thing, but about um, essentially that my point was the way that we create our own experiences. You know, that I swear a fair <laughs> yeah. bit, right? And I swear in my podcast. I swear in my writing, I've got a book that's got (laughs) fuck on the front cover, you know, it's and that's my biggest selling book. But what's interesting to me, and it's not about swearing, it's about thinking and the byproduct of thinking is that I can say fuck, one person thinks it's funny, one person's amused, another person doesn't really notice it because they swear like me, they shrug their shoulders, someone thinks it's probably a bit inappropriate and someone else is deeply offended, right? But all of those responses, yeah. one, they're real for the individual, but two, they're created by the individual, not by the word. And then, and then you go, oh, like I am literally creating wow. this state of offense myself because of my story mm. about that particular stimulus. The stimulus in this case being the word fuck, <laughs> right? Now it's, it's just, and all that is, is an exercise in metacognition, which is to think about how I think, to think about how I respond to how I think, and then to think about what is the role of my thinking in my health, which nobody thinks about. And then we talk to people like professor Jeffrey Rediker, who I've had on a couple of times from Harvard medical school, who talks about spontaneous healing and placebos. And, and you think about, oh, fuck, my mind is a really powerful variable in my health. My psychology has a huge impact on my physiology, but I don't know how to manage my fucking mind because I'm the world champion overthinker. <laughs> I'm a gold medalist. You know, it's like I don't yeah. manage it. It manages me. You know, so trying to think about and me me saying this doesn't give anyone a solution but it's just opening the door on okay so i am not a body and i'm not a mind and i'm not a bunch of emotions and i'm i'm all of it like i'm all of it all of the time you know so yes you know we can have somebody who let's say in some alternate reality they've got the perfect diet if such a thing exists perfect amount of sleep perfect amount of hydration and exercise program and everything's perfect but they can't manage their mind they're constantly putting themselves in a catabolic state because of stress and anxiety that's self-created and like you can manage anything but if you can't manage your mind you can't be well so that's you know this is that understanding of you can get great diet great sleep great exercise but if all day, every day, you're, you're sending yourself down a cognitive mm. rabbit hole of doom and gloom, that shit's yeah. going to come back bite one you on the arse.
1: You know, like I personally do struggle with, um, and I think a lot of us do, <laughs> you know, like I think
0: <laughs> hundred, well, that makes, that makes you normal, not bad, not broken, not weak. Yeah. That makes you completely normal. And it's just. You know, I work on this a lot with people, it, it, is that just that how do I manage me? Because if you can, ma- I believe that for those of us living in mm-hmm. relative first world comfort, and by that I don't mean rich, but we've got food, we've got security, we've got lighting, we've got heating, we've got cooling, we've got a bed, we've got a few bucks. I think beyond that, our biggest challenge is managing our mind. Because your mind is basically UHQ. Your mind is where all your choices, decisions, actions, reactions, interpretation, data processing, that's where all of that emanates from. So like nobody accidentally eats junk food. They choose it. Nobody accidentally doesn't work out. They choose that. And so it's thinking about how does my mind intersect with my behaviors and my outcomes? And then how do I, you know, I reckon if we all just spent if our biggest project for the next year mm. was learning how to self regulate with our mind, how to turn down the crazy, how to turn down the overthinking, how to stop saying yes I'm to things we should say no to. You know, it's like how to stop being the fucking <laughs> chronic people pleaser, how to yep. stop exhausting yourself. Was this meant to be a counseling like session? We are. Apps?
1: That's so well, I
0: mean, but it's true. Like, it's nice to be not like you're a nice person. I'm a nice person. And sometimes I'm a prick, I guess. I try not to be, but, but my one of, I know for me, for example, mm. I have to have a purpose bigger than me Mm-mm. because otherwise I'm a selfish prick. Right. So I need to help people. I need to serve people. But also, I need to know when to go, nah, nah, because it's nice to be nice, but it's not nice to be an emotional doormat. And every second person, especially women, because women are amazing and kind and generous and selfless, it's nice to be nice, mum, but it's nice to look after yourself because if you are always giving and never getting, you're going to be a three out of 10 emotionally, mentally, and physically. And then you not only can't you be great for you, you can't be great for anyone else. And people think when I say you need to prioritize you, that I'm saying you need to be selfish. I'm not. I'm saying you need to be smart. You need to look after, yeah, you need to care for your family, protect them, all of that. But you also need to, I think, sometimes, you know, turn down all the science and everything for a moment and the research and all of that's great. But just go, all right, just me. What do I know? What's working in my life? What's not? Is this relationship working? Is this behavior working? Is the way that I do money working? Is the way that I eat? Is it working? Is this job working for me? Is this like our life is always giving us data? It's always telling us something. And our job as conscious, intelligent creators and designers of our own life is to pay attention to the evidence, the data, and go, well, I know that this isn't working, but nonetheless, I keep doing it. Why the fuck am I still doing this thing that doesn't work? And again, the recognition is not the solution, where, but it's the start of the solution.
1: Where do like you the solution? Like where do you actually go Like to actually?
0: Well, you can't change right. the thing you won't acknowledge, right? So so step one is, you know, so self-reflection, mm-hmm. self-awareness, um, and then stepping into self-regulation. It's like, all right. I realise that. Let's say, for example, I have a toxic relationship with food. You know, I love food. I use. Mm-hmm. I, I'm just talking about a, a, an example person. I talk to. You know, if I've got a room of a hundred people, I say, put up your hand if if you and food have an interesting relationship, <laughs> right? And nearly every hand goes up. And I go, well, and put up put up your hand if at times you do things which is really um self destructive in you know it's not good for your health not good for your self esteem not good for your emotional system you know you medicate with food you reward yourself with food you make dumb choices you know and again this is not this is not self loathing this is self awareness because that was me i mean i spent my first 30 years of my life just really uh having a yeah, very yeah. toxic relationship with food and i was the problem right but you can't fix what you won't acknowledge and so once we own up and step up and go look this is what I do. I mean Lisa I used to I used to tell as an exercise scientist and trainer and gym owner and high profile fitness industry person in Australia I would tell people to do stuff that I wasn't doing myself. That's how out of control I was. I I knew what to do but yeah. I didn't do what I knew, right? And that was because a whole bunch of psychological and emotional mm-hmm. and social mm-hmm. issues around food and self-esteem and being a morbidly obese child and all of this shit but the but forget the reasons the problem the problem existed and i needed to get to the point where i went okay i'm putting up my hand i'm full of shit i'm doing stuff that i know i shouldn't do and i'm doing stuff that i would tell others not to do I need to be authentic and I need to, because when it came to food for me, and this is just a unique example, it could be anything else, any other behavior or any other component of your life. But for me, I'm kind of like an addict. You know, if I open mm-hmm. the cheesecake door, the I'm lot, fucked. Yeah. Right? <laughs> it, Yeah. So it's like, I'm like, you wouldn't say to an alcoholic, just have one beer. Don't be ridiculous. Just have one beer because we know it's not about the beer. It's about the psychological, emotional, sociological, behavioral response. So for me, for example, even though I'm relatively educated and not completely stupid, I still have to self-manage carefully around food. Like I've created a good operating system, but then let's, uh, okay, you go. So then, all right, we recognize this. Where do we start? Well, where do we start is we create a process based on who we are and how we are and what we want to be. Structure, accountability. um, Accountability is massive. So me realizing I need to change something, there's a difference between Right, I am now consciously behaving differently, and I'm doing that because I've got structure, accountability, self control, awareness, and a degree of motivation. There's a difference between that, and then we fast forward to two years later, where we go, okay, now I've changed my subconscious programming. Now this thing that used to require discipline, self control, and inspiration, it doesn't anymore because this is just how I am habit now. around it. So for me, the th- yes. So what happens is when you change your default setting for real, right, then then you do those things on autopilot. So now I I don't really struggle with food, but I just need to be wise. But I eat breakfast, I eat dinner, which is not a recommendation for anyone. That just works for me. So my life is quite um, yeah. yep. uh, repetitious in a way, in a way. But that repetition, that program works for my body and my mind. And so that's, you know, with everything, whether or not it's what job do you do? What kind of relationship are you in? What kind of lifestyle have you created? Uh, What do you put in your mouth? You know, what supplements do you like? All of these things are variables that we need to figure out how we best operate in relation to that component of our existence, because just because. Lisa takes a B and C doesn't mean Craig should take a B and C because I'm not you. Mm. You're not me. I don't have your body, you know? So that's why at the very best conversations like this are a starting point for
1: people.
0: Yeah. And like a bit of information, a bit of inspiration, and then what the listener does or doesn't do is then up to them because you know ultimately the only person who can change yeah and anyone i think you know what one of person. the
1: important things is to take away the baggage associated with you know like things like food or alcohol or whatever get rid of the guilt get rid of the blame try and look at where the heck this came from try and work through it maybe get someone like craig to take you through and to look yourself in the mirror and but to actually because it's easy to get down on yourself and when you get down on yourself because you feel bad you feel guilty then you're in another cycle of, of crap basically where you 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 you're perpetuating the cycle because you know what do, what do people do generally like when you when you're down you look for comfort and the way our bodies and in if you think about it also from a um survival point of view. We were programmed to seek out high carb foods because they weren't enough around, and so it made sense that our instinctive selves, our drivers are for sex are for food, are for you know these these things that we still go after, but we're living in a different environment than we did back in the day in the caveman days where we had to go and find the carbs, yeah. find the food, find the go hunting, go you know fishing, go gathering. Yeah now we have it on every street corner but we've still got those instinctive drivers going on in the background and then we've also got all these genetic predispositions yeah. and so like we're complicated well we're complicated and so taking the blame out of the question i think is important and then just mm. working around well okay yeah got, got this issue how do i deal with it what do i do who do i put around me what little and then the other thing is that you know that making little changes at a time if you overwhelm yourself from this day forward i'm never ever going to touch a drop of alcohol again i'm never ever going to have one chocolate bar (laughs) i'm never ever you're doomed to bloody failure really because you've just set yourself up for a massive whereas if you today i'm going to drink more water then I'm doing that for the next 30 days, Man. you know, or I'm focusing on one thing and 100%. making a small change. And then when I've incorporated that into my habit, my rituals, and like you said, my, my day too is very ritualized, is very routine, is very organized, is my operating yes. structure so that I can um so that I can function and 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 be a high performer despite whatever's going on as you know as best as I can. Um, and that that gives me a framework. When that framework's thrown out, which I do periodically, I, and I think is a, a good thing to do, um, you know, like not so much now in my life because of mum, and I can't travel much, and I can't you know do things. But I used to go and you know put myself in an environment that scared the crap out of me. Um, doing ultramarathon or something somewhere in another environment in another culture where you're going without food without warmth without you know you're exhausted you're dehydrated you're whatever you are in that situation in order to throw yourself out of this comfort zone that you live in on a day-to-day basis because then when you you come back it does shake mm. you up it shakes you up massively while you're there but it also shakes you up when you come home and you've got to refit back into the normal world again, you come back with a new perspective, a new outlook, a new gratitude often for the bed that you have, and the shower that you have, and the food that you have. Um, and that's yeah. a really good thing mm-hmm. for us all to experience, I think. You know, um, yeah, chucking yourself out of that 100%. comfort zone, it doesn't have to be in an ultra marathon or in the Himalayas or something, it could be just. You know, doing something small that's outside of your comfort zone occasionally.
0: Yeah, and I I think that, I mean, we've spoken about this before, but it's always a good thing to revisit. Is that discomfort's not the enemy? You know, not not all pain is bad. You know, for me, the vast majority, the vast majority of my growth and learning and development and understanding and insight and skill and resilience has come from doing hard shit you know it's like i don't i I don't grow when i'm comfortable Mm. i i love comfort but i'm also comfortable in the middle of discomfort you know it's it's like we've spoken about this too but literally how do you how do you become an ultra endurance athlete well pain essentially (laughs) i mean pain you know, there's a bunch of other things, but how do you get stronger, bigger, fitter, leaner, lighter? How do you change your body in the gym or any training environment? Well, you, essentially, you go and you force it to adapt by doing all these things to it. You know, how do you build strength? You literally work against resistance. How do you build mental and emotional strength? You work against mental and emotional resistance, you know? And that I think, you know, what I found really liberating is... Even when I started my show and we're 1,350 or so episodes deep, I, I remember, uh, you know, there was a while where I, I, I think I was always reasonably authentic, but I was quite worried about just opening the door wide and going, <laughs> all right, everybody, here's what I'm really like. <laughs> I'm actually a bit fucked up. Um, uh, <laughs> I've got some issues. Hey, look, we're all friends. It yeah, bring it in. Uh, I've got some issues. I struggle with shit. I do dumb stuff. I make dumb decisions. I live out live out of alignment with my own values sometimes. I I'm a fucking embarrassment. Let's be honest. You know, all that, right? But the moment that the moment that I went, look. Yeah, I know some stuff. I'm a bit educated of, you know, but also I'm a periodic fuck up. The moment that I did that and just went, oh, let me tell you about my issues with food. Let me tell you about my commitment issues. Of course, I'm, I've am i been single my whole life. <laughs> and people go, you've got commitment issues. Yes, I fucking have. <laughs> Sit down. Let me tell you. Right. Of course, like if I, Craig Harper, wait until I've got everything figured out and all my shit together before I do a podcast or a lecture or write a yeah. book. I'm never doing any work.
1: Yeah.
0: Because I'm a work in progress. And I'm some I'm sometimes I'm brilliant, sometimes I'm a fuckwit. And sometimes that happens all before lunch.
1: And you should have gone and been a comedian. I mean
0: so (laughs) but I think, you know, we just gotta go look, you know, it's okay. I'm I'm I I mean, this message is for the listeners. Like we worry so much about what other people think. Fuck all that. (laughs) You know, that doesn't mean you've got to divulge to every person your deepest and darkest, but it's just like, okay, so you got food issues or you've got body issues or you don't like how you feel. Or, that's okay. We get it. That's me too. That's the person next to you too. These these things that we, you know, we essentially have this inner a dialogue of, oh, uh, if people knew how I think, if people knew what goes on in my mind, oh, nobody would think Well, that's everyone. Everyone thinks that. Everyone thinks they're the worst, the craziest, the the biggest imposter. That's everyone, you know, except yeah, exactly. for a few random socialists. You're
1: probably a real arrogant prank.
0: <laughs> <laughs> Who thinks they're the best <laughs> and all the time. The one's
1: most living most intellectually. You know? <laughs> yeah, yeah. That's, and, that's, and that's so and, true, and, but and this is the you thing, mean, you look at your achievements and what you've done and you're like, wow, 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 wow. And then it's so, um, I think it's wonderful that you're like that. And I've, I've done the same thing on this show. It is what it is. And it's, you know, it's open, it's real, it's raw, it's, you know, vulnerable. It's, um, and, and it's scary when you do that. And when you write a book about your life, you know, which I've written a couple and, um, and you're putting it all out there and you're like, whoa, (laughs) how people going to react to that? Um, inadvertently, I found that yeah. most of the time people react very positively because they're like, well, I can relate to you. I couldn't relate to you, the super athlete. Like you just said at the beginning, you had amazing genetics. Yeah. Totally wrong. You know, I couldn't, you know, <laughs> um, but people can relate to you if you are just another struggling human being, but you had a couple of wins along the way. And that's, and and you just... Mm-hmm. You Mm. just, but you're a fighter, you know, like if there's one thing I am, it's a fighter. And, you know, all people would be, you know, like come up to me. I was at a doctor's the other day with mum, a gerontologist, lovely person. But when I said, you know, like we're fighters, you know, we don't give up. We're warriors. And he's going, oh, I Mm. have a problem with that. You Mm. know, you need to do acceptance. And I'm like, no, I don't need to do (laughs) acceptance. I'm in fight mode. And that's me, yeah. and that's who I am. Don't take that away from me, you know, mm. because, yeah, mm. um, well, you're going to have to accept that this is going to, well, that attitude for me is like, well, then I'm giving up on on someone I love. I'm not going to do that until the absolute, I mean, I you know, when mm. my dad died and, you know, like uh, mm. I fought to the last second, And that's just who I am. Mm. You you don't take don't because you Mm. believe it's good to have acceptance and things and given and to, um, you know, everybody's different and everyone has a different path to take. And I'm just a warrior mentality and that's why I'm going to stay. I don't want to apologize for that.
0: And and I think when when people say, sorry to interrupt, sorry, like when people say to you, um, even with good intentions, Oh, you need, you need to do, you need to be, you need, I'm like, dude, shush. <laughs> like that, that's okay that you think that. And, and that's, you don't, but don't tell me how I need to think. Don't tell me that the way you see it is the way I should see it. And oh, I totally. understand where that guy is coming from. I understand it. I get it. And And like, it's, You know understanding how other people think doesn't mean agreeing with how other people think by the way and understanding how others think which in Mm -hmm. psychology is called theory of mind is a fucking superpower by the way everybody um if you can understand how other people think you have a distinct advantage in life but it doesn't mean that we need to agree with people even if that person i mean it depends on the situation of course but but in general terms day to day it's we people are always trying to impose their thinking and ideology and standards on others which is why we have so many echo chambers and so much confirmation bias and so much finger pointing and hate and you know if you don't um and uh, you know this is our belief and that's your belief therefore you're the enemy we're right you're no it doesn't matter what like you can think and believe what you want that's cool i'm not trying to change you if you think a and i think b we can still be friends if you believe in this, and I believe in this, if you're an atheist and I'm a Christian, or I'm a Buddhist, or I'm a uh, I'm a Muslim, or whatever, and you, it doesn't matter. Like we don't all have to be on the same page yes, to I'm coexist harmoniously.
1: Yeah, yeah, we don't
0: others. all need to. We don't need to all agree. We don't all need to disagree. Like there's yeah. this other yeah. fucking option. You know, uh-huh. I'm getting philosophical now, but it's like I just see so much. So much shit that happens in our world that is unnecessary. For the for the smartest species, we are overwhelmingly <laughs> fucking stupid yeah, sometimes.
1: I think the, the biggest thing is, and I mean, even I'm guilty of this in my, in my clinical work, is, you know, you've got someone who's sick that come to you. They've got some issues that you know some solutions for. Or you, you have a protocol or a thing that you want to try with that person. Um, and it's really hard not to impose, though, your... Because not everyone is in their phase of development where you are, you know, and I want to, I want them to get from here yeah. to here in five minutes. That took me 10 years. And why aren't you doing it? You know, <laughs> and that's yes. where I have to rein myself in.
0: <laughs> well, that's because that's right. Because they don't think like you. And yeah, that like you also have to realize, and I also have to realize, you know, that the way that you live and the way that i live which is just two choices that we've made that's the path we've taken not better or worse or whatever but it it for for most people the way that you live and your journey and your story is quite um exceptional and atypical but for you it's totally normal because you're you you know and there are things that i like sometimes i will ask people that I'm coaching to do something and to me it's the, the littlest thing and to them it's like an insurmountable yeah. fucking mountain yeah. I'm like really yeah. but uh, and part of me wants to go yeah. come the fuck on like this is a one out of 10 problem yeah. you're making it a 20 Relax. No. you know but I can't cuz to them to them cuz they're not me they don't think like me and they I'm not better than them that's for sure I'm just different and so for me to connect with people my my challenge is not to get them to think like me or be like me. My challenge mm. is for me to understand them and meet them where they are at, their level of understanding and motivation and inspiration. And, you know, that's the challenge as a coach, I think, and as a mentor or that's educator, hard, it? because, you know, I like right now, I spend a fair bit of time in the academic space. and And sometimes I'll listen to really smart people talk about stuff to a group. And and I look at the group, and the group have no fucking <laughs> idea what the person's talking about, All right. right? They can't relate because this person is talking a language or a message that really isn't resonant with that particular mm-hmm. group of humans in that room. So my question is, like I'm always, you know, with my research, which is broadly relevant because it's about communication, connection, understanding, it, it's, you know, it's about understanding how others perceive and process us. Um, and I can I can talk all the jargon and the science and the data, but one, it, it's boring um, for most people. And two, if I just put on the whole kind of academic presentation, no one's going to relate or be inspired. So what I need to do, even with my research, is figure out how do I share the stuff that I know? How do I share these thoughts and ideas, messages, strategies, insights in a way Mm -hmm. which resonates with people where they, there's no confusion, Um, whether or not they do anything with it is a different story. But, you know, and as a presenter, which you are, I mean, you stand in front of groups and you're a presenter on your podcast, like even with this, we go, how do we have this conversation in a way, which kind of is hopefully interesting and resonant with people? You know, because you and I could do a deep Mm-mm. dive into the shit we're interested in and, and we'd be having a great to time. And a lot of people would go, uh, uh, <laughs> this is so boring. <laughs> this is so doesn't interest me. You know, so there's that, you know, that's a self-awareness pitching, exercise. Pitching it to the audience also, uh, that's
1: in the room, you know, and you will know this is from your work that you do. It's When I'm talking to school kids, yeah. I'm trying and I find that hard actually, but to pitch it's kids or you're pitching it, you know, People working in an office or people working in a factory or people out on the oil rigs or, you know, like people with yeah. different experiences. And you have to change your presentation to fit that audience where they're at. And even on the time of the day, you know, is it 9 a.m. in the morning and they've just had a cup of coffee, ready to take stuff in? Or is it nine o'clock at night in an awards ceremony and yeah. they're already half drunk? I'm gonna change my pitch, right? I've got to change the way I speak. I, I don't do, I don't do those <laughs> things
0: anymore. I won't talk to that's audiences terrible. that yeah, are drinking. Com-
1: can be, can be.
0: It is, it is, but I, you know, I've, I mean, I don't know how many would be speakers and, but I think even for coaches and mentors in general, you know, like I, like you said before, you could have been a comedian or whatever, which I don't know about that, but I love humor. And the reason that I love using humor is because the moment that you can get someone laughing or smiling, Mm. you've created an emotional connection. I love storytelling because if you can tell a great story that's relevant and meaningful and brings people in, then you've created emotional connection. But if you are just delivering data, (laughs) you're probably going to create more disconnection than connection. You know, So if you can share some important messages like you and I have today, while hopefully having a few stories along the way, a couple of insights, a bit of silliness, then hopefully we're sharing good thoughts and ideas and information that might be helpful for people, but also we're bringing them into an experience, yeah, which is so nice to be too. in the middle of.
1: It's a fun way to learn.
0: It's all of it's got to be all of that because
1: it's always interesting. You know, I always get new insights when I'm talking. to.
0: I mean, yeah, like I want people to like I did, a, uh, as you know, before you do a, a corporate gig, generally you do a briefing. I did a briefing yesterday for a gig I've got to do next week. And I was talking to this lady and it's a two hour workshop, which is, you know, short for a workshop, but it's just kind of two hours of interactive stuff with a, a small group in fact. Mm-hmm. Um sixteen people in a boardroom. And she was talking about what she wanted and the theme for the day and da, da 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 da. And I go, yep. And then I said, but we've got to have fun though. She's like, what? I go, but we've got to have fun though. She, oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, yeah, yeah. I go, here's the thing, right? I could deliver on everything you just asked me to deliver on. It could be mind-blowingly interesting. It could be 100% relevant and accurate. I go, but if there's no fun, if there's no energy, if there's no stories, if there's no, like it's, it's a dud. So yes, we want good information. Yes, we want relevant content, but we also want people to walk away from that two hours and go, that was fucking great. Let's get him back. You know, that's, we want that, whether or not they get me back is irrelevant, but it's like, I want to educate, inspire, inform, connect, and and but I also want yeah. people to have a good time. Because if they don't have a good time, awesome. what's the point? That.
1: Because you learn too when you're when you have a good time. you don't just, learn when you're bored. Yeah. You know.
0: Well, nobody wants a bloke doing no. a it, fucking it two hour even monologue. Andrew
1: Human, you know, the Human podcast, he says like the more adrenaline that you can associate around the learning um the more you it will imprint yes. and it will stay so he recommends people go out for a run afterwards or have a cold bath or do something to give your body a bit of a shocker so that the the memories stay but you can actually yeah. incorporate that idea into what you're doing so if you can get them laughing connecting responding on an emotional level then they'll take the the, the insights in much better as well and keep them i believe then when you just present things in graphs and data, and you know, even though you're doing the same thing, but that's the skill 100%. that you know you, you, you're trying to develop as a, as a presenter, work in progress, um, so that you can make it engaging at the same time as being super educational, yeah. And then you get them to 100%. stand up and go for a run out the door and go for a 20 minute run. <laughs> there you go, <laughs> or you stick them in a that, plunge pool, yeah. <laughs> The India conference, <laughs> then they'll never forget you.
0: <laughs> well, like I know, if, if for example, in relation to this, if I not that I would, but if let's say I stood up and I talked to the group about childhood mm-hmm. obesity, which I could talk about, right? And you go, this is the graphs, this is the data, this is 1970, this is 1980, this is what that blah 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 blah, and people go. Ah. Or I stand up and I talk to them about me being the fattest kid in my school and I talk about my story and the psychology, the emotion, the physiology, the sociology around that, how I felt, what I did about it. People are in. And I'm still talking about childhood obesity. I'm just telling them my childhood obesity story. And people are much more engaged than, oh, here's some data, you know. And I think understanding that. That you know, people worry so much about their content and don't even think about the connection. Yeah.
1: Yeah.
0: You know, and the connection's more important. If you've got great content and no connection, oh, man. I'm, it's going to be a shit away. experience.
1: I'm going to take if that. You've away.
0: Got average content. If you've got average content but mm. great connection, it's going to be a good experience. Everything
1: that I do now and think about it, where is the connection? I'm not just delivering this piece of information, but how do I connect it to my story, my life, or some somebody's story? That I can make that 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 connection for people, because I do think you you yeah I think I 100%. I think I inherently do tend to do that, but it, you've just actually made that a thing for me.
0: <laughs> All right, I'll send you a bill. That's You're welcome. that would be ten dollars plus GST.
1: No, but it's it's so it is so key, and because I'm writing a piece on hydration at the moment, for example, when, You know, I'm pulling out all the stats and the things and the things, and I'm like, "Uh, actually, I I I, want to tell the story about the time I nearly died in the Yukon when I had a tetany seizure because my electrolytes were out. Then that might get the point across more. (laughs)
0: Electrolytes are important. Yeah, I would I would start (laughs)
1: with that. I do. I would start with that rather than you know if you are hundred and. 20 kilos, you need X, Y, Z and if you're 50 kilos in this temperature you need that. Just interrupting the show to let you know about our patron community here on the podcast at Pushing the Limits. We've been going for 8 years and we really need your support to keep the show on air and free to everybody so that everyone gets this fantastic information uh, from all these great doctors, scientists, athletes business people from all around the world. So we would love you to come and join us. You get a lot of exclusive member benefits when you do, but really it's about supporting the show and keeping it on air. And for a coffee or two a month, that would be fantastic if you can come and join us. You can go to patron.lisatarmity.com. That's patron.lisatarmity.com and check it all out.
0: I mean, even, I just say to even corporate groups, I go, so your body's, you know, mostly water, 65, 70% water or whatever. Your blood's 90% water, your brain's 90% water or whatever it is, right? You just go. So, here's some of the things that happen or can happen when you're a bit dehydrated. Well, you get dumber. What? Yep. You get dumber. Your brain doesn't work as well, right? Your blood gets thicker or more viscous. Your heart's got to work harder. You're more predisposed to stroke and <laughs> heart attack. And, and like that's just because you haven't had a fucking glass of water, right? So, like, yeah. and then people pay attention. You go, oh yeah, you're mostly water. So what happens when you don't put water into that mostly water body? Well, bad things. And it doesn't, you know, then you can wheel out the stats if you like. But yeah, that just that, like, if if people really get it straight up, then you bring them in and they're engaged. X, Y, Z. Craig, you've
1: been epic today. Again, I really enjoy our conversations. Can we do it again in a few months and
0: see where you're at with your PhD? We can. Well, it depends if you pay that eleven dollar bill, the ten plus GST. If if I see that come across my desk. Only if we'll do you come and one.
1: do some age testing with me. We'll see how well you're doing.
0: But oh, fuck, I'm scared of that. You might tell me I'm just deluded <laughs> no, and I'm actually 92. No, no you I might want find to stay that in my you're delusion.
1: Biologically way younger. So then you can start saying, Well, actually I'm only forty seven, you know. <laughs> Chronologic well, it's it's well, it's um good. You know, completely doable.
0: <laughs> if I was and on Tinder, I'd put that on Tinder. I'm yeah, well, 60, hey, but really a good 47. For <laughs> Let's not do an episode on dating <laughs> no, apps. I've never been on one and never up. will be on We're one. Too one.
1: Well
0: for that. <laughs> uh, Lisa, thank you for having Love it. me. Love You you're have a
1: fabulous day, and thanks so much for being on the show. Where can people find you, your podcast, and everything else?
0: So my podcast is called the You Project. Uh, I'm on Instagram, which is just Craig Anthony Harper. Uh, and uh, you know, just drop into my house anytime. I'm happy. <laughs> do <hamper>. do that. <laughs> no, no, don't do follow him. He's absolutely
1: hilarious. Uh, as long as you don't mind the swear words, and then if you if you do mind the swear words, examine why you're being offended. <laughs>
0: uh yeah do that oh also i've got a new well my website is dot and i've got a it new tells. program i don't know when this will go live but next week next week on the 22nd as we're recording this on the 15th sorry mm-hmm. if i'm not meant to say that lisa but on the 22nd i'm starting a uh a new it's only a four-week program but it's it's all about it's called pre-season 2024 and uh if i can just quickly say that one of my frustrations is that, that, you know, I talk to a lot of people who don't do anything, right. Who go, Oh, yep, yep, yep. I'm gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna. And I see them two years later and they, and they haven't. And so this program is really about, um, this is a coaching program. It's not an educate. I'm not going to, I'm not going to teach you too much. It's not, I'm going to do a lecture every Wednesday night at eight. It's, I'm going to do a coaching session and I'm going to coach people into the action and the behavior and to create some momentum and get the wheels turning. But if you want to learn about that, just go to my website, craigharper.net, go into the shop bit. Um, And I will say, which is terrible (laughs) self-promotion, it's not for everyone. It's actually for people who Are ready to roll up their sleeves. And if you're not ready to roll up your sleeves, I mean this loving caring way, it definitely ain't for you. Yeah,
1: no, that's that's fabulous. And you've got lots of um courses in you, a lot of speaking, a lot of books, a lot of PhD stuff. Everything on there.
0: Yep. Hit me up if you want me to come and talk to your company. I'm I'm extremely expensive, (laughs) but amazing. And you are. (laughs) I'm only kidding. I'm not, I'm not amazing, as you heard before. Paul. <laughs> Thanks,
1: Thanks for Catch you soon.
0: That's it this week for Pushing the Limits. Be sure to rate, review, and share with your friends. Head over and visit Lisa and her team at lisatamati.com.